I want to talk to you today about together. The word together is such an important word in the New Testament. You could say it's the very heart of the good news about Jesus. That is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring us together. And God hates discrimination. God loves everyone. That's why Jesus came into the world, because he loves every human being, regardless of who we are, regardless of our colour of our skin. And that's why what happened two weeks ago is such an affront to the gospel. And the word together is such an important word right now for our world. Because together we can change this world. And it's a world that has witnessed one of the most horrific murders that you could ever imagine of this black man, George Floyd, who for eight minutes and 46 seconds had the knee of a white man on him while surrounded by four police officers screaming, crying out, I can't breathe. And it's just heartbreaking to see, devastating, horrific, almost unbelievable. And you know, this man, George Floyd, was a father, a brother, a son. And I have heard so many, listened to so many black people in the last two weeks saying this, that could have been my brother, my father, my son. He looks like me. And that's why this feels like only the tip of an iceberg. For, for too long, there's been like a pandemic of racism uh, beneath the surface. And it feels like this has taken the lid off. And underneath is something very unsettling, upsetting, disturbing. And I, I want to acknowledge that I will never fully understand because I'm white. This has not been my experience. But I have resolved that I will listen more carefully and I will seek to understand. But one thing that I do know is that racism in all its forms is evil. And I detest racism for many reasons. But for one in particular, because I know the impact of racism on my own family. My father came to this country as a refugee. He was Jewish and many of my family died at the hands of an evil, racist Nazi regime. I have here my family tree. I don't know whether you can see it even, but here, here I'm down here. That's my dad and all the ones surrounded in this purple felt tip are the ones who died in concentration camps. Here, here's me, here's my dad. Here, his, his father, his aunts and uncles, his, uh, his father was Sigmund, his, I, 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 often, 
amused by this because his my great grandfather was called Isaac, and my great great grandfather was Abraham, not the Abraham, but Abraham Gumbel. The tragic thing is, here's my aunt Anna, she died in Riga. Here's Clotilde, she died in another concentration camp. Dora, Emma, Gottfried, Siegfried, he died in Dachau. I have his details here. On October the 5th, 1941, he was arrested, dragged from prison to interrogation for five weeks. For five weeks, he was tortured. He left a broken man. He was rearrested and murdered in Dachau on the 27th of January, 1942, not that long ago. Here's another one, Anne, she died in a concentration camp. Now I know the impact of racism on my father. I know the trauma because he couldn't speak to me about what had happened to him. And that has had an impact on me. I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes speak so movingly on this subject of racism. And he made the point that Holocaust survivors, it didn't just affect them, it affected the next generation and the generation afterwards. Slavery, the impact of slavery did not end in 1833 in the, in the UK or in 1865 in the US. It continues for generations. The pain is so deep. The emotions are so deep. There's so much stored up anger because there's been so much injustice, discrimination in education, healthcare, housing, and so much more daily discrimination. There's a legacy of injustice and ill treatment. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And what I want to say to all of you who are suffering this right now is, of course, I can never fully understand, but I love you. I weep with you. I stand with you and I will work with you for change. These events of the last two weeks have made me aware that I have to acknowledge that I am part of the problem. I, I publicly repented at our church holiday last year at Focus because this is the issue. Our congregation is beautifully diverse. It is 42% diverse, whereas the population of London is 40% diverse. So it's pretty representative of London. And I love to look out at it because it is so diverse. But this is the part that I need to, to repent about. And I confess it again. Our leadership is not as diverse as our congregation. And I am determined to do something about it. But it is my fault that it's not. And I have not acted fast enough. We have been working for several years now to change this. And last year at Focus, I set out a five-year plan and we're one year in and we've made progress, but we have not made enough progress. And I am sorry, I'm sorry for the things that are, are, are wrong. I'm sorry we haven't moved faster. We need to be more radical about this. We need to change faster. And that's my fault and I, I apologize for it, I'm sorry. I want to 
be part now of the solution. We all have a role to play in making for a better world. And this is a moment of opportunity. This moment of intense pain. The crucifixion of Jesus was the moment of greatest pain and vulnerability, but it was also the moment of the greatest reconciliation. The cross destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. In Ephesians 2 verse 14, it says that God's purpose on the cross was to bring us together, to create one, here are the words, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. To reconcile both, that's Jews and Gentiles, black and white, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we looked at last week. I love the story of Pentecost because it's the reversal of Babel. Tower of Babel is about division, the division of languages, the division of people. Everyone speaking in their own language. On the day of Pentecost, everyone spoke in tongues and they heard them speaking in their own languages. And there were in that crowd Asians and Africans, and Arabs, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the disunity of Babel was reversed at Pentecost. Through the gospel, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, this is what St. Paul continues to say in Ephesians chapter 3. Through the gospel, we are heirs together. That's to say, Black and white are sons and daughters of God. That means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members together of one body. That is to say that the body of Jesus on earth is made up of different races, colours. We are together, together, only together. Are we the body of Christ? Only together do we represent Jesus to the world. And we are sharers together. We are sharers together. We have to share together in the promise in Christ Jesus. It was his intent that through this, through being together, this is what he goes on to say, his intent was that now, this is verse 10, through the church, through, through us together, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in their heavenly realms. What is that? The manifold wisdom. The manifold wisdom. The word for manifold is polypoikolos. Literally, that means much diversity. It's used to describe flowers, woven carpets, tapestries, something really beautiful. In the Septuagint, that's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the word used for Joseph's coat of many colours, his richly ornamented robe. It represents 
the multiracial, multicultural, multi-ethnic community of this beautifully, beautiful tapestry. That is the manifold, the much diversity, beauty of the church. And that is the purpose of the cross and resurrection. It's the purposes of Jesus' coming, that we should be together. And in heaven, in the new creation, we will be together, all of us. In Revelation 7, verse 9, we see a great multitude, no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of Jesus. And what that shows that is in the new creation, in the perfect world, diversity is not eliminated. Diversity is celebrated. And that means that we should celebrate diversity now. And we need each other. I love this quote that has been circulating this week from Dr. Elizabeth Henry. There is something deeply perverse in expecting those who are oppressed and or excluded to be the architects of eliminating their oppression and or exclusion. In other words, she's saying this can only be done together. I love also what Barack Obama has said this week. He says, as tragic as these past few weeks have been, as difficult and scary and uncertain as they've been, they have also been an incredible opportunity for people to be awakened to some of these underlying trends and they offer opportunity for us all to work together, to tackle, to take them on, to change. Mother Teresa said, I can do what you cannot do and you can do what I cannot do. But together we can do great things. And that's what I believe right now with all my heart. Together we can make change. We can change our world. We can accelerate change. As a result of COVID-19, digital change has been accelerated. In our church, I think it's been accelerated by five years in three months because we've had to adapt. We've had to pivot. Now, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be wonderful? In fact, I think it's necessary that as a result of the death of George Floyd, we see accelerated change in the elimination of racism in our world and the elimination of, of, of a lack of representation in our, in our own church. That's why I want to see what we can do to make happen in the next three months what would have taken us five years to achieve. And that's our goal. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the legacy of George Floyd, that he's remembered in history, not just as a man who was brutally murdered on the streets of Minnesota, but as the man who was the catalyst of change in our society, who brought to an end division and racism, who changed our world into a world that was more united, more together, more diverse, more beautiful, in Jesus' name.
Right now, I'm going to hand over to L. Ruth Harmony, great name for a moment like this, because we have decided to do this talk together. Not just to talk about together, but to act together. And L. Ruth Harmony is on our staff team. She gave a talk very similar to the one that she's going to give right now at our staff meeting. And it was so moving. I asked her to do it again for this Sunday, together with me. And she's been a huge help to me with my part of the talk. And I don't know that I've been any help to her, but she's been willing for us to do this talk together as a demonstration of what is needed if we're to change our world. We have to work together. So I'm so grateful to Elle Ruth and I'm going to hand over to her right now. Hey church, my name is Elle Ruth Harmony. And for most of you, that is probably all you know about me. Now I'm not going to go into the details of my life right now. I mean, we've only just met, but I think it would be helpful to describe the lens in which I viewed life coming into last week because then you might be able to picture my point of view. My parents are missionaries, so since day one, I was exposed to different cultures and races and visited many countries outside of Nigeria. I was raised in Devon by white British guardians and went to a school where I was the only black girl. Yet I wouldn't say I experienced racism. I would say I experienced the same level of ignorance that a white girl growing up in Nigeria might experience. If someone didn't like me, my first thought wasn't, oh, it's because I'm black. I think, well, I'm pretty opinionated and I do take a lot of selfies, so not everyone is going to like me. But two things happened to me prior to hearing about George Floyd's death. First, my little sister opened up to me that in the same place in Devon that I love and speak so highly of, she had experienced racism. Not just verbally, she'd also been physically hit by some boys at her school. The same day I'd heard about George Floyd's murder, I had been told that I was not going to receive the outcome of a court hearing that should have taken place that day because it had been postponed due to coronavirus. You see, on the 1st of April, around the beginning of lockdown, I and one of my housemates had been assaulted physically in our own home, for no reason at all, by someone who had lived underneath the same roof. That person was supposed to be tried for assault by beating that day, but now it won't happen until later this month. So, you know, I was already heartbroken to hear what my sister had shared with me, already disappointed by delayed justice. I then picked up my phone and saw the news of the murder of George Floyd, and I was crushed. I was hit with so many waves of emotion. First came the anger, then the questioning. Why the silence? Why aren't more people outraged? Where is the outcry of the church in America? Wait, where is the outcry from the church here? Then there was the sadness. You know, we lost our dad suddenly in a car accident when I was six. George Floyd's daughter, Gianna, is six years old. And I wept for her. I wept for her family. You see, your identity as a black person is massively attacked each time you hear about racism. Each time you witness the world debate whether black lives matter, whether your life matters, you can't help but think, what if it was me? Would my church stay silent? Would my colleagues stay silent? Would my friends stay silent? Would the people I love demand justice? And you know, my questions weren't just for people around me. I had big questions for God. God, do you even care? This has happened time and time again. Does your heart not break? When will it be enough for you? When will you be moved to action? God, if your church does not act, will you act? Do black lives even matter? Does my life matter less to you? You see, Jesus said in Luke 23 verse 34, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. But my question was, Father, how can I ask you to forgive them when they do know what they are doing and still choose to do it anyway? You know, and I may not get all of my questions answered this side of eternity, but I still think it's important to be honest with God about how I feel. 
I cannot and will not allow the mysteries of life to pull me away from the author and creator of life itself. I'm not afraid to unravel in front of God because he is the only one that can put me back together. You see, silence from both parties causes distance. If you can't approach a leader to talk about it, it causes distance. If it's too much to discuss with a friend, it causes distance. If you do not come to God with the burdens of your heart, it causes distance. But this was my experience of last week. But honestly, this was my first time I really tried to openly educate people, actively crying out for justice, trying to openly communicate my hurt and disappointment with racism. Just imagine how exhausted it must be for those who have been fighting for years, for those who have been trying to educate people for years, for those who have experienced the pain and what feels like betrayal of silence for years. Imagine having a wound that never gets a chance to heal. Just as you're healing from the last death of racism, you are pierced with another one. And here is the challenging part for us as Christians. For me as a black female Christian, in the midst of pain and in the rightful shouts for change. God's standard for me does not change. God's standard for me is not dependent of what other people do or say to me. I can be completely in the right and still not respond rightly. I am still called to pray for my government even when they fail me. I'm still called to stand up for the persecuted, even if I'm not the one being persecuted. I'm still called to honor my leaders, even if I question their actions. I'm still called to speak the truth in love, even if I'm speaking the truth for the hundredth time. I'm still called to forgive, even if they don't say sorry. I'm still called to love, even when they choose hate. And God is still good, even when all I see is bad. God is still a God of justice, even in the midst of injustice. God is still at work for our good, even when we see no change. God is still father to the fatherless, even when I feel abandoned. And when I'm filled with doubt, when circumstances around me draws me to unbelief, I take one look at all Jesus did for me on the cross. And I know that God really is who he says he is.